0: Morning, church. My name is Matt Nix. This is my wife Sherea. We're going to read the passage this morning. We will be in the book of Exodus, chapter 25, verses 31 through 39. So Exodus 25, verses 31 through 39. You can follow along in your Bibles or on the screen behind us. You can read the first part. Okay. The Lord said to Moses, Make a lampstand of pure hammered gold. Make the entire lampstand and its decorations of one piece. The base, center stem, lamp cups, buds, and petals. Make it with six branches going out from the center stem, three on each side. Each of the six branches will have three lamp cups shaped like almond blossoms, complete with buds and petals. Craft the center stem of the lampstand with four lamp cups shaped like almond blossoms, complete with buds and petals. There will also be an almond bud beneath each pair of branches where the six branches extend from the center stem. The almond buds and branches must all be kept, must all be of one piece with the center stem, and they must be hammered from pure gold. Then make the seven lamps for the lampstand and set them so they reflect their light forward. The lamp snuffers and trays must also be made of pure gold." You will need 75 pounds of pure gold for the lampstand and its accessories. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Good morning, church.
1: It's good to see you this morning. That was yet another beautiful Christmas passage, amen? It doesn't feel like a Christmas passage, does it? Well, we hope to connect the dots in this, in this message together. We started an Advent series last Sunday. And if you're not familiar with the term Advent, synonyms would be like arrival or beginning or dawn. The Advent season is, is about the anticipation of King Jesus who arrived on that first Christmas. In this Advent series, we're looking at Christmas through the lens of the Old Testament tabernacle. And and, and maybe you're wondering, you know, what in the world does this tent in the desert have to do with the baby in the manger? Well, both the tent and the, the manger are proclaiming forth the redemptive plan of God. The tabernacle and the manger show us how God saves his people back in the times of Exodus and today. Now, if you've read Exodus... It's a pretty exciting book, right? At least the first two-thirds are. You see, God brings the Egyptian superpower to its knees with the plagues to free his people from from slavery. God parts the Red Sea, and his people uh, escape slaughter, crossing on dry dry ground. And as the army pursues, this murderous army pursues, and once his people are safe on the other side, God brings the waters crashing down on this army that was going to wipe out his people, and his people are saved, and it's... It's really exciting, and multiple movies have been made about that. It's exciting until you get to this last third of Exodus. It suddenly starts talking about curtains and cubits and courtyards. On the surface, it seems kind of boring, right? But here's what it shows us. It shows us that Exodus it's not just about God setting his people free. It is about God setting his people free so they can be with him and worship him, right? That's the best part and the whole point of freedom. In Exodus chapter 29, God says, I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. And the good news for you is this, that this is not just a story about a people group a few thousand years ago. This really is Your story as well. God redeems you and he brings you out of slavery to sin so that you can be with him and worship him. That is the point of of freedom. Now here's what I want to do this morning. I want to do three things. First, I want us to quickly review the point of the tabernacle and some of the stuff we talked about last week. And secondly, I want to talk about a particular component within the tabernacle, the the lampstand that we just read about. And third, I want us to understand how all of this relates to us in Christmas today. So first, what is the point of the tabernacle? Last week, we looked at Exodus chapter 40, and, and Exodus chapter 40 is basically a summary of the previous 14 chapters about the, how the tabernacle was designed and how it was built. And Moses, when he builds what you see, when you read it, Moses builds the tabernacle from the inside out From the most holy to the most common. And, and it may have looked kind of like this. This is an artist's rendering of what it may have, have looked like. Now on the far left, I don't know if you can see it, it's, it's pretty small, but all the way to the left in the tent is the Ark of the Covenant. That's where he starts. And then he sets up a big curtain to wall off the ark of the covenant. And just outside of that, he places the altar of incense and the lampstand and the table of, of bread, and then another curtain. And then outside in the courtyard, he sets up the, the, the basin for ceremonial washing and the altar of burnt sacrifices, where, where sacrifices were, were made, and, and outside of that would be the camp. You know, it would be surrounded by the people of Israel and in, in there tense so why does Moses set it up this way well it was specifically set up like this to show us to illustrate the reverse of the curse since curse that came with the fall in the garden of Eden you know remember God creates Adam and Eve puts them in the garden with, with unfiltered access to God's presence All of the time. I mean, there's no sin, no disease, no feeling like your prayers are hindered, no need for clothes, no shame. They had the fullness of God's presence. And it lasted all of two chapters. Chapter three they take the forbidden fruit which was an act of, of trying to be their own God, and suddenly there's brokenness in their hearts, there's brokenness in the relationship between Adam and Eve, and ultimately there's brokenness in the relationship between them and God. They did not just lose the garden, they lost God. And in the end of Genesis chapter three, we are told God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. But later, what we see in Exodus, even though his people disobeyed and broke off their relationship uh, with, with God and now they're wandering in the desert, God pursues them. They're, they're, they're living in tents now in, in the wilderness. And so God says, I am moving into the neighborhood, and, and, and I'm setting up a tent of my own so that I can be with you, so I could be among you. There is hope for you because my presence is drawing near to you. But now his presence is different than the way it had been in the garden. In the garden, they walked with God in the cool of the day. But in the desert, this tabernacle has all of these barriers to the presence of God, these these curtains and these these stations and these these, uh, regulations. But God sets up his tabernacle in a specific way to show us how we can draw close to him. Now, now the common Israelite they were they were allowed uh, to be in the in the courtyard there and to bring a sacrifice for the altar of of burnt um, offering. And if you were a priest, you were a representative of the people that that could move progressively closer to the most holy place of God's presence. And so next to the basin for the ceremonial washing and then past the first curtain to the lampstand and the table with bread. Then as you approach the curtain, there's this this altar of, of incense representing the prayers of the saints. And then on that curtain was giant cherubim guarding access to the most holy place in the presence of God, just like in the garden. And here's why this is so significant for us at Christmas. On that first Christmas... Jesus shows up to take away the barriers to the presence of God. Jesus becomes the ultimate sacrifice once and for all time. Jesus washes us completely clean from sin. Jesus is the light, the light of the world and the bread of life. Jesus intercedes in prayer for us as our representative. And when Jesus died, the curtain was ripped open and the cherubim and the sword is no longer necessary. Hebrews 10 says this. Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. This right here says... That Jesus is the curtain that was ripped apart so that you could have access to God. So that you could be with God. See, the tabernacle is showing you the reverse of the curse. That's why in Exodus chapter 25, the Lord says, Let them make me a sanctuary that I might dwell in their midst. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so shall you Make it. He's illustrating how we can draw near to God. Now, the next few weeks, we'll keep walking through the tabernacle, and we'll ask, how does this piece point us to Christ? And for the next half of this message this morning, we'll look at the lampstand that we read about. Now, this tent didn't have any windows. didn't have a skylight. It was dark, right? And so the priest, when he would go inside, the first thing he would see as he stepped into the tent would be the light of the lampstand. It it, it would be a, a, a constant and only light that he would see. In Exodus 25 describes the, the lampstand. Verse 31, the Lord said to Moses, make a lampstand of pure hammered gold. Make the entire lampstand its decorations of one piece, the base, center stem, lamp cups, buds, and petals. Make it with six branches going out from the center stem, three on each side. And this is an artist's rendering of what the lampstand might have looked like. It's designed to look like a sort of a tree that is blossoming now a few a few quick observations first It's made of pure gold. The basin and all the other things out in the courtyard were made of bronze, a less expensive metal. But when you draw nearer to the presence of God, nearer to the most holy place, the value and the worth increase. The value and worth of God's presence is beyond compare. And this is illustrating this. And then, secondly, again, it's made to look like a tree. It had branches with with almond blossoms blooming. Remember, back in Genesis 3, God says, don't eat of that tree. They disobeyed and ate it. Death becomes the reality. And darkness clouds their vision. Then you fast forward to the tabernacle. And we have a new tree with new blossoms illustrating that life is available. A lampstand tree giving light that breaks through the darkness. And then you fast forward again to the Gospels and you see the tree of Calvary where Christ died for our sin so that we wouldn't have to. He paid the price that we should have. It was a dark day, but through that darkness, the light broke through. My life was given. And so with this pattern that we see throughout the scripture, God is saying that light and life are available to you. God is saying, I I am moving towards you in the tabernacle, but ultimately I'm moving towards you in Christ. I'm doing what you could not do for yourself. I'm giving you light that exposes your need, but I'm also answering the very need that you have. And this is where we get our connection to Christmas. Jesus is the light of the world. We sing about that. We read about that. If you remember back in in Isaiah, uh, the great prophecy of the arrival of the Messiah in chapter 9, it says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Isaiah is saying that a new day has dawned. Light is pushing back the darkness. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. And you know what? I I think it would be a a good idea and a good practice to let the Christmas lights on your Christmas tree remind you of this. Why not? Be encouraged in in your faith. Remember the words as, as, as you look at the lights. Remember the words of John in chapter 1 where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And then verse nine, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world, and he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And verse 14, the word became flesh, and dwelt, or tabernacled, among us, and we have seen his glory, Glory as the the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So God first moves towards his people through this tent, but this tent is only pointing ahead to God moving toward his people when he himself would walk among us. He becomes the perfect sacrifice, the basin of water, the light of the world, the bread of life, the curtain that's ripped apart and ushers us in into the presence of God. We no longer need the tabernacle because we have Jesus. So, so what? What do we do with that? Maybe you find all of this interesting, but how does it relate to us today and during the Christmas season? What should our response be? Well, I want us to know something, and I want us to do something. First, I want us to know something about this. Here's here's what I hope sticks with you. God's redemptive purposes are not limited to Exodus, To the people in Exodus. God sets you free from slavery and sin and draws you out of darkness, not just so that you would be free, but so that you would be free to worship Him, to express your gratitude to Him, to express His worthiness, to be with Him. That right there is true freedom. You know what, maybe, maybe you trusted Jesus as your, as your king and your savior. You're, you're, you're free, but, but maybe you feel like you're still enslaved in the dark and dying. I want to tell you something. It is when you worship that you see the light. It is when you worship that you feel alive. It is when you worship that you finally feel free. He set you free. Then he sets a place at the table for you. He says, I want you at my table. This banquet is for you. I want to be with you. See, this is totally different than than a God who just saves. This is a God that wants to be with you, who is with you, a God who loves you. I know in a room like this, Some of you may be feeling the weight of your own slavery to sin. Some of you may feel like you're you're walking in darkness and it's sucking the life out of you. And you're wondering if there is any hope at all. Maybe you decided to go to church because it dawned on you that maybe you need to know God, but you just don't, don't know how. Well, the good news is this. The way you know God is through his son, Jesus. Jesus has come to you. He is drawing you to him. He is the light of the world, light that exposes and reveals. So sometimes we want to run from him, run from the light, right? That's what Adam and Eve did. They sin, they cover themselves, and hide in the bushes as if they could hide from God. We've been doing the same thing ever since. Running from God. But in kindness, God turns the light on our soul. And yeah, it can be uncomfortable. But the good news is that God's kindness leads us to repentance. God's kindness draws you in and exposes your need. But at the same time, he reveals that he is the solution to your need. You know God through his son Jesus, and you can know him today. You can pray, God, I, I want to know you. Would you would allow me to, to trust Jesus? Would you allow me to believe that, that he died for my sin and, and instead of me dying for my sin? Would you let me believe and know that, that he resurrected from the dead, and because of that, I will have new life and life eternal? God answers prayers like that. And for the rest for all of us, I want you to remember that even your faith in God was a gift. It was not something you just mustered up. It was a gift to you out of sheer grace and generosity, a gift that you could never earn. He just simply chose to love you. He knows everything about your your deepest, darkest secrets, and he still chose to love you. That is amazing grace. Second, I want us to do something together. Jesus shows up as the light of the world. Now check out what he says in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you are the light of the world. Christ. I mean, that's what I want us to do. You know, the world says what you do determines who you are. The scriptures teach who you are determines what you do. And you are the light of the world. Jesus said so. So I want us together as a church to reflect Christ reflect his light with good works. And the word good that Jesus uses is similar to the word beautiful. With your beautiful life, people are able to see God. By the way that you don't jump into gossip at the office or by the way you compose yourself at the Christmas party, by the way that that you are honest and the way that you you uh, talk to and care for and love the neighbors that God has placed in your life. By the way that you live, you are reflecting and revealing the goodness of God. And it's different than the way the rest of the world lives. And when you stand out like that, people are going to want to know why. And then you can tell them. (laughs) Have you ever been... Champion, and you've seen a full moon so bright that it casts shadows so reflective of the sun that it casts light into the darkness God has placed us to reflect his light in a dark world church this this is who God has called us to be and what he has called us to to do. We are to reflect God's light in a dark world. There's darkness everywhere in our city. My prayer is is that God would mobilize us to reflect the light of Christ among the people who need help in the darkness, and I, I pray that we would reflect him by the way that we love and serve and give with God's grace and the truth of the gospel and God's kindness, that, that we might reflect all that he is. We are entering a season that is should be marked with joy and peace, but... <laughs> In our culture, and uh, just the way the season usually goes, it can be so busy with obligations and parties and deadlines that we can get distracted from the whole point. We must be a people who are resolved to collectively reflect who God is to a watching world in a way that is beautiful and draws people to God. And we do that in community. So, you know what, when you decorate your Christmas tree this, this year you're probably not just going to put one light on it and say, I'm done, we're good, right? It, it doesn't look right, it doesn't make sense. You're going to put a string of lights on it. That's what makes it look right and it makes sense. That's what makes it look beautiful, right? more than just one light on its on its own together we can reflect the beauty of who god is with generosity and joy and peace and truth i mean with the fruit of the spirit on display love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control that's different and the world operates. That's how you know your life is, is real, it's pro- or your faith is real, because it's producing that fruit in, in your life. In the midst of the craziness all around us in our world, especially during the Christmas season, with our lives we can communicate that Christmas is about the light of the world that has come to us. Dawn is here darkness has not overcome the light because the light has overcome the darkness that reveals the risen Savior to us and to the world that is, that is what we want to celebrate when we, when we gather together for, for worship and we pray Lord would you give us the joy of knowing you because you set us free so that we could be with you so that we could worship you and experience true freedom. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me?